There was this teenage boy, and he uh, was uh, playing basketball in his driveway, and he lost one of his contact lenses. And after a short and fruitless search, he just kind of gave up. His mother quickly took up the search, and believe it or not, within five minutes, she was able to find that contact lens. And, you know, her, her young teenage boy said, how in the world did you do that, mom? And the mother said, we weren't looking for the same thing. You were looking for a piece of plastic. I was looking for $200. (laughs) And see, it's, it's, you know, it's just, some of you just need to think about it. You'll figure it out, all right? Um, We're going to continue our study in the book of Proverbs this morning. And we are going to talk about the important topic of money. Actually, Christmas and money kind of go together. And uh, I think a lot of us understand that. And so I want to talk this morning from the book of Proverbs Wisdom on money. Wisdom on money. Lord, I just thank you for each one that was able to make it out uh, this morning. And I appreciate them being here. And Lord, I just believe they're here because you drew them here. So that may they just truly experience your favor now. You brought them here for a reason. And Lord, I just pray that they will meet you in even a greater way. You are welcome here, Holy Spirit, and I just ask that you would manifest yourself, that you would take control now, complete control from beginning to end. I ask that you would fill me from the soles of my feet to the crown of my head. I truly pray that I will speak your words, your words of truth, your words of life. I also pray for everyone here that you will give them soft hearts. Oh, that's a gift. Just soft hearts to receive. Ah, oh, when our hearts are hard, it's, we're miserable, but we can't receive on top of it. So I pray for soft hearts and ears to hear. Now just have your way and glorify yourself. And I ask for this in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. Thought we'd try to start off on a light moment <laughs> on a heavy topic, huh? Money is one of those things that the average person uh, doesn't really like to talk about. But the reality is money is on our minds. Money is on our minds. In fact, in 2016, a survey was taken, and it was called Stress in America. And since the inception of this survey in 2007, do you know what the number one cause of stress in the average American life is? In fact, the vast majority of America's life, you know what the number one cause of stress is? Money. You got it. Wow, you guys are quick. All right. It says in this report, survey, 72% of Americans report feeling stressed about money at least some of the time. 22% of Americans say that they are extremely stressed about their financial situation. 26% of American adults report feeling stressed about money most, if not all, of the time. According to many Americans, the three greatest stressors in their life financially are, number one, unexpected expenses, number two, paying for essentials, and number three, saving for retirement. 32% of Americans say that their lack of finances or lack of money prevent them from living a healthy lifestyle. And finally, and this was kind of disturbing to me, there are 12% of Americans who have said that they skipped this past year going to the doctor in part, even though they needed health care because of financial concerns. Because of financial concerns. To say the least, money is on our minds. Money is an extremely important thing to us. And I want you to know there are two ways that you can think about money. You can think about money either as a tool or as a drug. 
Money is a tool when you think of it in terms, you know, of paying your bills. You know, paying the electric bill, putting food on your table. In other words, money is a tool when you view it as a means of doing something useful. And this is not a bad thing. In fact, this is quite often a good thing. The real problem comes though when we think of money as something more than a tool. For example, why is it that people who are just rolling in money, they want more? They want more. Or why is it a person or people who have more than enough money will make great sacrifices in their life just so they can make a little bit more money, even though they are doing damage to their health and they are doing damage to the relationships, to their family and to their friends. Why is this? And the hard truth is, money so often is much more than a tool for many of us. In fact, it is a drug. Too many of us actually have an emotional attachment to money. For example, let me just see if I can illustrate this for you. Susan and I, we live in an apartment, and and being in an apartment, I have a few tools. You know, I have a hammer, I have um, a couple screwdrivers, I think, and, and, and a pliers. And, uh, you know, I just want you to know that I do not have an emotional attachment to my hammer. I do not sleep with my hammer, in fact. And Susan has never said to me, Frank, wouldn't you feel so much better if you had an electric drill and maybe a chainsaw? And, I said, and, and I've never said to her, no, no, honey, I don't want to run the risk of, of developing a deep attachment to my tools. Never said that. Now, you know, we can kind of smile at that. We can kind of laugh at that. But how many of us have d- developed a deep attachment to our money? It's become like a drug to us. Many of us treat our money as if it's going to give us some sort of temporary escape. Some of us, we think of money, it's, it's like in a momentary illusion of security, of giving us this good feeling of well-being. See, that's a bad spot to be in. That's an emotional attachment to money, and that is not a good thing. In fact, the Bible's aware of just how easy it is for you and for me to develop this emotional attachment to money. In fact, Paul wrote this to his disciple Timothy many, many years ago, 2,000 years ago in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Skip, can you put it up? People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, notice it's not the root, okay? That is wrong, but it is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Paul is making an incredible statement here. In fact, I think this is painfully clear. Do you understand? Do I understand? Money can destroy your soul. Money, not rightly handled, can destroy your soul. And it has destroyed many, many people's souls. So which is money for you? Is it a tool or is it a drug? Or let's put it in more biblical terms. Is money a servant to you or is it an idol? Is money a servant to you or is it an idol? You know, 
It's hard for us to be truthful with ourselves, isn't it? It's easy to deceive ourselves. So what I want to do is I want to spend the rest of this morning trying to help you determine whether money is really a servant to you or whether it really is an idol in your life, in which case it can destroy you. John Wesley, Skip, can you put up his picture? Now, John Wesley, some of you might be familiar with him, some of you might not. He lived in the 18th century. John Wesley was very instrumental uh, in the First Great Awakening, and he's also the founder of the Methodist denomination, believe it or not. Now, I'm sure he's rolling over in his grave today for how what Methodism's become. It's extremely liberal, but that's a different message, and we're not going to get onto that right now this morning. But when it came to money, or when it comes to money, John Wesley has a very, very famous statement that he made. John Wesley said this. Now listen to this. He said, make all the money you can, save all the money you can, and give all the money you can. Now, that's actually a pretty biblical statement on his part. And so for the rest of this morning, I just kind of like to unravel each one of these phrases. I'd like to apply the book of Proverbs and perhaps some other scriptures to each one of these phrases. So let's look at the first phrase, all right? John Wesley says this, make all the money you can. And some of us say, well, yeah, 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 I, I kind of like that. You know, I can go for that. I, I, you know, I like to make money. Make all the money that you can. And in fact, you know, I, the, the Bible encourages us to work hard. Did you know that? The Bible encourages every single one of us to work hard. In fact, 3,000 years ago, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, you know, uh, King Solomon kind of said these kind of fascinating words. Skip, can you put them up? Proverbs chapter 6. He says this, take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones. <laughs> Learn from their ways and become wise. Though they have no prince or governor or ruler to make them work, they labor hard all summer, gathering food for the winter. But you lazy bones, how long will you sleep? When will you wake up? A little extra sleep, a little more slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Then poverty will pounce on you like a bandit. Scarcity will attack you like an armed robber. So I think one thing we can draw from these scriptures right here, these verses, is that you know God does not think poverty is a virtue. God does not think that poverty is a virtue. Now, Solomon uses the ant. So Skip, will you put a picture up of the ant? There is the ant. Now, you know, the ant is not the largest creature in the world, nor is it the smartest creature in the world. But you know one thing about the ant? The ant knows what time it is. Did you know that? The ant knows what, when it is time to work. And the question is, do we know when it's time to work? Now, the ant knows in the summertime you work. Did you know that ants attend picnics? They do. You see, well, we're kind of, you know, leaning back and in, in, in our nice lawn chair, and we've got, you know, we're sipping on the Arnold Palmer. You know, we're gorging our faces with hot dogs and hamburgers, potato salad, baked beans, chips, watermelon, and whatnot. You know, while we're doing that, you know what the ant is doing? One at a time, they're just carrying away the crumbs. One at a time, they're just carrying away those crumbs. And see, if we're not careful, you know what else they'll take? They'll take your potato chips. Skip, can you put up this video? Watch it. This is fascinating. Isn't that great? No, I I mean, I I love these guys. Now, we, we get a charge out of these guys. 
But you know what? I just wanted to gross you out a little bit too. But, but you know what? I mean, are you an ant? No, I had to ask myself. I mean, God uses this simple creature to kind of bring convictions to it. Do I know what time it is? Do you know what time it is? You know, it's kind of interesting as I was doing uh, a little studying for uh, this message. I, I ran across, someone said that you can equate, you know, our lives to the four seasons. For example, springtime. Springtime, you know, is when we're born and, and we're children. And, and really, it should be, and, and I'm really sad that we really rob our children, by the way, of childhood. But, but, but childhood should be great, shouldn't it? It's a time of fun. It's a time, really, of little responsibility, or should be little responsibility. It's a time where a child really should be able to focus and begin to learn about life and to learn what God has done. I mean, it really should just be a fabulous, fabulous time. And, and we call that springtime. And, but springtime soon moves into summer. And summer, you know, it generally happens late teens, early 20s. And, and what happens is, you know, we, we are graduating from college and we find that special person a lot of times. We get married, we have kids, we got to have a job and we, we really got to work hard. We got a lot of things going on, a lot of stress generally in the summertime of our lives. But it's an important time. And, but summertime then eventually rolls into fall. And fall is, is a time, it usually begins summer in your late 40s, maybe early 50s, and, and you know, I'm kind of there in the fall. <laughs> you know, Susan will probably kill me for this, but, you know, the, the kids are graduating, and they're leaving, and, you know, and uh, it's, it's, it's kind of like vacation, and, and, and you're at the height of your earning power. Not, not quite true in my life, but, but you're at the height of your, your earning power. And I mean, and if, if you've taken care of yourself, relatively speaking, usually your health is pretty good. And this is really a pretty good time in your life, you know, is, is, is the fall. And then all of a sudden, though, but the fall moves to the winter. And winter usually starts about 65 years of age. And see, if you were as smart as the ant, if I was as smart as the ant, then, then winter time's going to be good because I'm going to have enough for my winter time and I will not be a burden to my children. I won't be a burden to anyone else, but rather I will be a, a blessing. I feel that's true of you. You know, the Bible tells us that work is actually a good thing. Did you know that work is a blessing? Work is a blessing. In fact, we're told this in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 15. The Lord took the man, that's Adam, and put him in the Garden of Eden to sit on the couch, eat bonbons, and watch television. Does it say that? To work it and take care of it. You know what's amazing about this scripture? It's before the fall. Work is not part of the curse. Now, some of you are thinking, what in the world was God thinking, right? You know, one of our favorite phrases is T-G-I-F. Thank God it's Friday. You know, and this is generally how the average American views work. This is kind of their view. In fact, as I was doing a little studying for the message this week, I ran across some quotes by Americans in terms of work. Listen to this. Every day I get up and look through the Forbes list of the richest people in America. If I'm not there, I go to work. Some of you will get these. Another American said, if hard work is the key to success, most people would rather pick the lock. Here's my favorite one, though. I love this one. This, This one's great. 
In any organization, there will always be one person that knows what is going on. That person needs to be fired. Love that. Love that one. Isn't that the truth? The world says TGIF. Thank God it's Friday. But God says TGIM. Thank God it's Monday. You see, God says work is a good thing. Did you know that the God of the universe works? No, Jesus made it clear. He's working even now. And guess what? You're made in the image of God, and I am made in the image of God. We are to actually imitate God. We are to actually work. And when we work, we not only imitate him, but we're actually fulfilling our design. We're actually fulfilling our own design. We need to understand work is a good thing. Work is a privilege. Work can give you, and in a good way, meaning to your life. That's not a bad thing. Work can give you real meaning and real purpose in your life. And one of the beauties about work is this. God, in allowing us to work, he's allowing us in some way to provide for ourselves. He's also allowing us to help others. And he's also, if you really understand work, we don't have the time this morning to talk about it in more detail. But, but work is a way that we can actually bring God glory. Work is a way that we can actually bring God glory. All right, we need to move on. John Wesley not only said, make all the money you can, then he said this, save all the money that you can. And and a lot of us, again, most Americans would say, all right, that's good. That's a good thing to do. I, I, I think that I ought to save money, and I think that I ought to save more money. But you know what the problem is? You know what the real problem is? Not only does the average American not save, they are in debt. The average American not only does not save, they are in rather deep debt. In fact, according to historian David Tucker, I found this interesting. He said, historically, the average American family used to save 15% of their paycheck. Did you know that? Historically, the average American family used to save 15% of their income. Thrift, he said, was an American virtue. However, now, according to to Tucker, starting in the mid-1990s where credit became easy, borrowing for the average American also became easy. Look what Proverbs 22.7 has to say. It says this. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is the servant to the lender. Read that. just, Just let that sink in. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. You know, as I was, you know, doing some study here for this message, the amount of debt in America blew my mind. And I'm not just talking about the national debt of $21 trillion or so. The average American debt is absolutely incredible. The average American right now, do you know, carries a credit card balance of 15 thousand dollars that is the average credit card debt in america and i'm not talking about car loans i'm not talking about house mortgages none of that i'm just talking about on on your plastic pull it out fifteen thousand dollars now let me now, now get this if you were to stop buying on credit right now and you were just to pay the monthly average on that fifteen thousand dollars It would cost you $250 every month just to pay the minimum. Do you know how long it would take you to pay off that $15,000? Many years. years. There's an accountant. That's good. Many years. Actually, 11 years. 
11 years. And in that time, you know how much interest you would pay on that $15,000? Like, listen to this. I almost fell over. $18,000. So that means, now get this now, that 15000 that you're borrowing from those nice credit card people, those banks, by the time they get done with you, you will pay $33,000 for that $15,000. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the leader. You lender, you better, better believe that. You know, and so I know what some of you are thinking. You're saying, okay, Pastor, I get it. I'm in debt right now. I'm in debt. So what do I do? Well, let me tell you one thing not to do. Proverbs 13, 11 says this. Now, here's what wisdom says, okay, you're, uh, when, when it comes to debt. Proverbs, you got that? Here we go. Wealth, now watch this, from get-rich-quick schemes quickly disappears. Wealth from hard work, though, grows over time. Now, now please let that sink in. Because what it's talking about here, if Solomon were alive today and he were standing right here, he would say one way to get out of debt is not to go play the lottery or to go to Vegas and play craps, okay? Even, even if you happen to win, you still lose. Even if you happen to win, you still lose. You know why? You ever heard the phrase, easy come, easy go? Well, that's exactly what happens. See, if you get money easily, and, and that's one of the problems of borrowing money, from the bank. See, when we get money easily or we win the lottery or, or you know, we, we, we win through gambling and you get this easy money, quite often it destroys the person. Did you know that? It quite often destroys the person. In fact, I could read you reams and reams of studies on those people that have won uh, the lottery, for example. It has destroyed them and it has destroyed their family. You know why? Because you see, you know, Quite honestly, when you get that easy money, most people don't have the character, the character to handle it. And it destroys you. No, it literally destroys you and it destroys your family. But see, look what it says, but through hard work, but if you gain money the old-fashioned way, work for it, guess what happens when you work for money and you get it? You gain character. Not only, though, do you gain character, you gain wisdom as to how to use that money. I mean, this, there's just incredible wisdom here in the book of Proverbs. So quit trying to imagine. I see so many people trying to get rich quick. Dumb idea. You know, Proverbs is saying that is a really, really stupid idea, and it's a great way to get in trouble. So you say, well, I want to get out of debt. How do I get out of debt? Well, you know, there, there are very temporary ways you can do it. I mean, I'm, I'm not here to give a class on how to get out of debt, but one of the most simple ways to do it is to cut up your credit cards, by the way, and you pay off the credit card that has the highest debt on it, even, by the way, if you have to dip into your retirement account. It's a smart thing to do, but I'm not here to give advice on that. Do you know the best way to get out of debt is to spend, what, I didn't hear that? Sounds like tongues, okay? Yeah, spend less than you earn. Spend less than you earn. Now, here's the problem. Most people can't spend less than they earn. They just can't do it. And you say, well, why can't they do it? Came up with the two Greatest reasons why people have difficulty spending less than they earn. Here it is. Now listen to this. Reason number one, empty on the inside. You know, you come in this world and you're empty. And so 
Commercials come on the television. What do they tell you? Commercials will kill you. Madison Avenue, by the way, just for the record, is not your friend. They are, they're there to help you separate your money from your wallet. And the whole idea is they, they tell you, you know, you're empty on this. But if you get this, then you'll feel better. Then you'll feel better. And there's some truth to it, but in the end, it's a major lie. So reason number one is that we have trouble spending less than we earn is because we're empty on the inside. Reason number two, envy, envy. You know, it's kind of interesting. My mother was a psychologist, so I I had a psychology minor. Do you know that they did tons of studies on this? It's kind of intriguing. Do you know that the average person is actually pretty happy with what they have until they see what someone else has. You know, that's why social media is a killer. No, they've done studies. If you sit there and, you, and you're on Facebook an hour or two hours a day, you know what you're, at, you know what you're causing yourself to do? Become depressed. Because you're seeing all this, you know, you know people are, are, are puffing themselves up, you know, and, and whatnot. We read this and we become envious. Come on, we become envious. Or you look at those, those, those commercials. You thought you were happy, but you, know, you thought your refrigerator was great, but now you've got to have the double wide one. That's going to make you a lot happier, right? And, 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 and that's the big lie. If, if I get this thing, it's, it's going to make me feel better. And the people out there are going to be impressed with me. And then I'm going to be really happy. Yeah, I say, go ahead and get in that Porsche. Yeah, you're, you're going to get debt, and you'll have buyer's remorse. But for a moment, for a moment, yeah, 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 you'll, you'll feel good. You'll feel good. And then all of a sudden, that emptiness and that envy takes over again. You see, godly wisdom says, spend less than you earn, save for a rainy day, and save for a time when you can no longer work or work little. All right, got to move on. So Wesley Then thirdly said, give all that you can. And this is going to be the challenge this morning. (coughs) Preachers love to talk about giving. I've been waiting for this time. In fact, we're we're going to take another offering. No, I'm just just kidding. kidding. It was kind of, you know, it was snowy. We knew it would be a little lighter. So I'm sure the offering's a little lighter. So I'm sure we need to take another one. No, I'm just kidding. All right. Give all. All that you can. And this is the challenge. Now, Wesley was kind of smart. You know, he knew that people would have no problem with make all the money you can. Roger that one. Save all the money you can. Yep, yep, yep. That's, that's a good thing to do. You get some security there. Give all the money you can. Are you kidding me? I work hard for that green paper. Are you kidding me? Now, I want to challenge you with truth and wisdom, which is counterintuitive. In fact, Solomon writes this in Proverbs chapter 11, this, verses 24 and 25. Give freely. Now, now look at this. Look what he says here. Give freely and become more wealthy. Well, that makes sense. Give freely, become more wealthy, be stingy and lose everything. The generous will prosper Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. Wow. I mean, every one of us ought to, you know, that's my life verse right there, huh? Anybody got that as a life verse? 
Give freely and become well. I, I mean, this is a test of faith, ladies and gentlemen. Jesus is quoted, by the way, in Acts chapter 20 and verse 35. You've all heard this, but you didn't know it was actually an act. It's not found in the Gospels. And it says that Jesus said, remember the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, it is more blessed to take... Oh, no, no, I mean, excuse me. It is more blessed to give. It is more blessed to give than receive. And, you know, I look at this stuff and I go, you know, Lord, are you kidding me? I got to preach this this weekend. This will not sell. There is no way that you're going to have me tell people that by giving freely, they're actually going to do better. That's exactly what the scriptures are saying. This goes against the world. The world says, look out for number one. My father said, Frank, learn how to take. Learn how to get. He never taught me one lesson on giving. Not one. He was a man of the world. You know that, or many of you know that. But he never said, Frank, the way to get wealthy is to give. Woo! Never heard that lesson. Most of us, you know, like I said, it is so counterintuitive. These verses, just two quick lessons as we, we, we wind it down. Lesson number one, God designed us to give. Did you know that? That's what these verses are saying. Whether you believe it or not, I hope you will. God designed you. God designed me to give. And you know what happens when you give? You begin to feel better. People all the time, they're, they're going, to, whether to me or to psychologists or psychiatrists, I want to feel good. All right. I'm going to help you. Give. Give of your time. The two greatest commodities that you have, that I have, are time and money. Give. Even my mother, who was a secular psychologist, just off her ever lo- out of her ever-loving gourd at times, all right? She would say the number, she would say these people would come to her and, 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 and they're very unhappy, okay? Very unhappy. And you know what the first thing she'd tell them to do, an unhappy person? Go find somebody you can help and help them. Number, it was amazing. She, she was pulling from Proverbs. She was pulling from Jesus. Didn't even know it until she got saved. I'm telling you the truth. The reason why the average person is miserable in America, I know a lot of them, is because they're stingy. It doesn't work. God designed you. He designed me to give. Secondly, as we we end this thing, secondly, the second thing we learn from these verses is that giving takes faith. Giving takes faith. Hebrews eleven six. without faith, it is not possible to please God. You want to demonstrate faith? God says, give. God says, give of your time. God says, give of your money. And you know what the weird thing is, by the way, about money and time? Who gave it to you? He's only, okay, so first of all, any amount of money you have or I have, any amount of time, he's given it. So he's only asking us to give back what he's already given us. Do you know why you have the money you have most of the time in the time? He wants to see what you're going to do with it. 
He wants to see if Frank Ray is going to take the money he has, the time he has, and he's going to use it and blow it on himself, or he's going to have the faith to believe that I can't outgive the giver. Do you know it's impossible to outgive God, the giver of the universe? God is the great giver of the universe. And you can never, ever, he challenges you. You can never, ever outgive him. And he says, we can go back to Proverbs, skip, put it up. He says, if you trust me, if you have faith and you give of the time I've given you and the money back to me and my kingdom, I will bless you. He's saying even more. I will refresh you as you refresh others. By the way, when I give money, I'm not giving it to him, but when I help you, when I help someone around me in the name of Jesus Christ, then it's as if I'm giving it to him. And he says, I will be refreshed as I have refreshed others. May you have the faith, I pray. May I have the faith to really believe this. Father, I just thank you for your word. Man, money. Jesus made it clear. You cannot serve both God. He didn't say sex. He didn't say work. He didn't say even materiality. He said you can't serve God and money. You will love the one and hate the other. You will despise the one and love the other but you cannot serve two masters. And I just ask, as we sing this last song, Holy Spirit, and I know you're dealing with many of us as you dealt with me on this really, really powerful topic of money. It can either change our lives for the good or it can destroy them. It's one or the other. Money can change our lives for the good if we use it as a tool. Or it can destroy us if it becomes an idol. Oh, I pray chains are even being broken now. In your precious name, Jesus, in your powerful name, I ask for this. Amen. Hi, I'm Jeff Eckstein, one of the pastors here at Bethlehem Community Church. Welcome to our Sunday podcast, coming to you from the town of Bethlehem in upstate New York in the USA. Bethlehem Community Church is an independent, non-denominational, Bible-based evangelical church that includes people with backgrounds from many denominations. We believe that it is only through the love of the Father, the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ on the cross, and the power of the Holy Spirit that we can come into a personal relationship with God. We are people truly seeking a deeper intimacy with God and with one another. If you'd like to know more about our church, please visit our website at www.bccdelmar.org. There you'll be able to find our Statement of Faith, as well as more about the ministry of Bethlehem Community Church. You'll also be able to submit prayer requests as we are called to pray with and for you. We also would love to hear your story and how you found our podcast and where you're listening from. So please visit our website and send us an email. Again, it's bccdelmar.org. That's bccdelmar.org. Thank you for joining us as we continue our pursuit of knowing God and making him known.